do me a favor and welcome Pastor Jeremy Isaacs. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that really was the nicest Jason's ever been to me, so I don't know how to, how to take that. But uh, no, we are so glad. Boys, you're grounded, by the way. But um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> we really are so glad to be here at Hope City. Corey and I are. We, we love this church. Uh, we've been here a couple of times, but we really do love this church. And, and uh, uh, Jason, you know, he says I invest in him and he invests in you. Jason calls me every single day. Uh, three and four times a day, I answer one or two of his calls. And uh, usually it starts like this. Hey, you got two minutes? It's never two minutes. But he's always like, hey, you got two minutes? Uh, and so we'll talk. He'll say, hey, I want, I want to run something by you for my message for Sunday. Or I'm thinking about this for the church. Or I'm thinking about doing this. And, and I, I want you to know, what you probably already know, is that he and Andrea love you guys. They love Hope City Church. They are invested in you. They're invested in this place. And they want to grow an incredible church here in this part of Louisville, not just so they grow a church, but so more people can come and find hope like you have here. Uh, and, and so I'm so thankful for just for them and, and the connections that they allow us to make to you. Uh, but the other thing that you need to know is that not every church is like Hope City. Now, you may know that because you maybe have other experiences outside of Hope City Church, but the average church in the United States runs less than 90 people. Uh, the music is not like what you just experienced. The preaching is not like what Jason brings on a weekly basis basis. Um, and so you should feel blessed today. This is not to compare you to other churches because there's great churches in this community, I'm sure. But this is not just about that. It's just to understand that if you're a part of Hope City, this is a great thing to be a part of. And if you're not, then you need to be a part of Hope City because it's a great, great place. But we love this church. We love them. And, and he is my younger brother. Nobody makes me laugh like Jason and nobody makes me angry like Jason. Some of you have that same experience. I got some clapping there. I, I felt that. Hey, but would you do me a favor? Would you just clap and just love on your lead pastors today, Jason and Andrea? Super, super talented folks that, uh, that you're blessed to have. Uh, you know, you saw three of our, our sons, our, our three sons. We also have a little girl, Kinley. She's five. She, she would have been the, the smallest in the stack here. Uh, so we have 12, 10, 7, and 5. And, and I, I remember the day we found out, like, we were having a girl, and everybody was like, oh, you finally got your girl, which I'm not sure what that means about the other three pregnancies. Like, we had failed miserably in those, I'm sure. But no, we, like, we wanted to have four kids anyway. We were excited to have sons. We were excited to have a daughter. If it would have been a son, we would have been excited there, too. Um, but I remember the day we went for the ultrasound, and they said, hey, it's a girl. And I have the video, and I'm, like, recording the video, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like... I just, it would have probably been a little easier to have a fourth son. Like we had the clothes already. We had the toys already. Now we're in like naked Barbie heaven. Um, and so like, it was just a whole new learning curve for us. Uh, but we, we, we love Kinley obviously, but the amazing thing about having Kinley is that Kinley as the youngest daughter, when we, when we found out we were having her, I thought, man, she's got three older brothers. I kind of hoped and felt like she might be a little tougher than she is. I don't mean like WWF female wrestler. I mean just like a little thicker skin, like wouldn't cry at the drop of a hat. But it's almost as if having three older brothers has created for her this cocoon of emotion where she can have all the emotions all at one time at any given moment. And so I was like, okay, well, I mean, so this is what having a daughter is like. Well, the other day, several days ago, all four of our kids were playing at the house, and Corey and I were doing something, and I heard that sound in our house, and if you're a parent of, of any children, one to a million, you, you've heard this sound, 
And it's the sound that like makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up and like sends a chill literally down my spine. You, you've probably heard it. It's when all your kids are laughing and getting along. Because in our house, the rule is if everybody's laughing, somebody's about to start crying. Like that's how it works in our house. And so everybody was laughing, and I think we might have been watching a TV show, so we just paused it because somebody's about to start crying and run into our room. We could feel it. You could just sense it. It's that parent intuition you get. And so all of a sudden, Kinley comes running into our bedroom, five years old. Surely one of the boys have done something. She's crying, like sobbing, like can't control herself. And she's like, I don't and I was like, I got nothing. I mean, Corey can interpret that. I had no clue what she said. I was like, baby, calm down. Tell me what happened. She said, Tucker called me a liar, and I am not a liar. Tucker's seven. You just saw him. Tucker and Kinley have an incredible relationship. That's the closest sibling to her. They have an incredible relationship because Kinley adores Tucker, and Tucker loves aggravating his sister. And so I said, as calmly and rationally as I could to Kinley, I said, baby, why do you care that he called you a liar if you know you didn't lie? And she's very not calm and irrationally. She responds to me, because I don't like it when people say things about me that aren't true. And I thought, how profound for a five-year-old. Because that's how a lot of us feel even now. Well, I have been tasked today to continue this series that you've been in now for two weeks called Worst Day Ever. We've been looking over the last two weeks, Pastor Jason has, he's been looking at this story of King David out of 2 Samuel. And we understand in this story that King David's son Absalom is trying to oust his father out of power. He's, he's won the hearts of the people. He wants to kill his father and take control. And so King David is on the run. That's really the summary of this story. And in 2 Samuel, Jason talked about in the first week, he talked about facts, fear, and faith. And he said that bad days always involve bad news, but we tend to believe worst case scenarios on our worst days. And we believe our fears instead of our faith. And then last week in week two, great message, he talked about milk matches and magnets. And he talked about when we go through these bad seasons, we find out the truth about our relationships, that bad seasons in bad relationships create new needed relationships, and they draw us to people who need our help. And so if you haven't been here these last two weeks, I would encourage you, go back, listen to the podcast, watch it on the website. Great, great content these last two weeks. And so I want to continue in that today and look again at 2 Samuel chapter 16, where we find this story of King David as he's on the run from Absalom, this worst day ever. And I want us to look at the power of words, just like Kinley experienced with her brother, like somebody saying something to you that's not true. And so hopefully today as we read this, you'll resonate with this, maybe because you've experienced the power of words kind of given, thrown at you, given to you, or maybe you have found yourself in a place where you were the giver of these kinds of words. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to 2 Samuel Chapter 16, we're going to begin reading in verse 5. The scripture should be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible or an app or something to follow along. And this is what it says. As King David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. And as he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood that you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Verse 13. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him, showering him with dirt. 
So what we have is we have King David who's already having the worst day ever. He's already on the run, right? His son Absalom is wanting to overthrow him from power. He's wanting to kill his father. So David's already on the run. His guards are with him. Some of his mighty men are with him. And he comes to this place as he's traveling somewhere else. He comes to this place where a guy comes out of the house he comes, Shimei comes out, and he starts throwing insults and, and calling names at David and actually throwing real rocks at David and his guards. And the guards were standing watching, so they were trying to keep the rocks away from David. And so we're going to read in a few minutes some of the things that happen here, but we see that he actually is just yelling and screaming and making accusation against David. You ever been in a place where somebody said something bad about you? You ever been in a place where somebody said something bad about you to your face? Like, that's even worse right? You, you, maybe, maybe you heard about it, but if somebody actually comes up to you, looks you in the face, and calls you these terrible names, makes accusations about you, they're hurting you with the words that they throw at you, it helps us to realize that whoever said sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me lied, right? Because words hurt. Words really do hurt us because of the things that are said, the things that they do to us, the way that they wound us. And so what you have here is you have David and his guards, and this guy's screaming at them, making accusation, calling names, throwing rocks. And then we read in verse 13 that David and his men continued on. And as they continued on in their journey, Shimei gets on the other side of the road, and he continues with them as they travel on this journey, continuing to throw rocks, continuing to call names, continuing to scream and curse at him the entire way as they travel towards their destination. It's not something that just happened in a moment. It was something that stayed with him this entire journey, as this man continued to throw hurtful words at him. Maybe you found yourself at a place in life where, where you've been the recipient of those types of harmful words. Maybe, again, you've been in a place where you've been the giver of those kinds of words. You know, the book of Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of life and death, that words are powerful. And so maybe you've received some death kind of words in your life. Maybe you've given those kinds of words. So today what I want to do is I want to give you three thoughts and a bonus one that we need to keep in mind about the power of words. Three thoughts when we think about the power of words, when they come to us or maybe when we're giving them away. And the first one is this, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. When someone has been hurt, it seems that they use that hurt to begin hurting other people. Shimei was out of Saul's clan, is what we read in 2 Samuel 16. He was out of the clan of Saul. So Saul was the king before King David. So King David, the guy that showed up, who's on the run from his son Absalom, who wants to be king, before King David was king, Saul was king. Before that, there had been no king in Israel. But the Israelites, they had, they had used the prophets. God had used prophets and judges to rule over them. And there had been no king. And they called out to God and said, hey, all these nations around us, they have a king. We want a king. And so God picks Saul out of all of the people of Israel and says, you're going to be the first king of Israel. So Saul is the king. And so Shimei is out of that clan. He wasn't like his brother. He wasn't like his you know, cousin, but he was like a distant relative. He was a part of this extended family of Saul. Maybe you've had somebody in your life or in your circle that they, you know, they got a promotion at work. They got a big raise. They won on the scratch off card and won a little money. And like you received a little blessing because they received a little blessing right? You knew somebody when they became famous, something good happened to them. And so you tell stories like, oh yeah, yeah, I used to play little league with them. Oh yeah, yeah, we were in science class together in high school. Like they've amounted to something and, you know, but, but I haven't amounted to that much, but I mean, I knew them. I was a part of their life at some point back there. That's kind of the story here 
of Shimei. He was a part of Saul's clan. Well, the problem is that Saul was no longer king, David's king. And according to history here, if you recognize what's happening, David has been king now for a period of about 20 or 25 years based on the fact that he has a son old enough to try to overthrow him. Because Absalom was his third son who was born to him in the first year of his reign in Hebron. And so what we have is that at least 20, maybe 25 years or so have passed since Saul was even king. And so this has been an extended period of time that Shimei has carried this hurt inside of him. That his, you know, his friend, his family member that used to be king was no longer king. And he's harbored that hurt for over two decades. And now it starts to come out. When he sees David, he is, it just comes out of him. It just spills out of him. You know, I think just about every time I've ever seen someone completely overreact in a moment. Like if I say something, somebody else says something, and somebody just screams or goes off or just loses their cool, almost every time you can trace that back to some interior, inside hurt in their life. Something that's happened in their past, something that's happened that they've kind of harbored, they put it away, and that hurt finds a way of just coming out when they least expect it. Almost every single time. But here's the, here's the crazy thing about what Shimei is saying to King David. What he's saying is not even really true. He's saying, you're, you're a murderer, you're a scoundrel, you, you killed Saul and his household. If you read back in the story, while David did kill a lot of people as king to help expand the territory of the children of Israel at that time in their history, he had an opportunity to kill Saul in a cave and chose not to do it because he said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. One of Saul's descendants, later after David became king, came to him and David helped to restore him and his household like what he's even screaming and yelling about isn't even true. But here's what you know as well as I know. Half-truths still hurt a whole lot. Half-truths still hurt a whole lot. It doesn't even have to be fully true for it to hurt us. As David is standing there taking these rocks and these insults and these names and all these things that are being thrown at him, it doesn't even have to be true to hurt us, right? Somebody could say something about you, accuse you of something, call you by a name that doesn't even really match the reality of your life and the history of your life, but it still hurts. It still wounds us because hurt people hurt people. Seth Godin says this. He says, people don't believe what you tell them. They rarely believe what you show them. They often believe what their friends tell them. They always believe what they tell themselves. They always believe what they tell themselves. My friend Matt talks about the wall that we build as we experience hurt and pain. The first time somebody hurts you, the first time somebody causes pain to you, you start to put that pain in front of you and use it to block other people from being able to hurt you. But then somebody finds a way to hurt you in another way. And so you put it and you build up a wall and you build up and you add this brick of hurt and this brick of pain and this brick of hurt. And you just keep building that wall up until you have a wall between you and every other person that you interact with. The problem is that not only are you separated by this wall, but now you're removed from the actual reality of life and you build a false sense of reality behind that wall so that when someone says something to you, someone says something, I mean, just they don't even mean anything by it. In that false sense of reality that you've built behind the wall, you make it something bigger than it is. You, you now make it sound like they were trying to accuse you or name call you. And so because of that false sense of reality that you've built by removing yourself from other people, it doesn't even have to be the truth when it still hurts you because half-truths still hurt a whole lot. And so would it be possible for us, those in this room today, if we just said, you know what, the next time somebody says something hurtful to me, 
rather than internalize it as hurt towards me? What if I, what if I viewed them as someone who's probably been hurt somewhere in their past, and I tried to identify what hurt I know about them if I know them well, and say, so, you know, they probably don't even mean that. They're probably just lashing out because of what they've experienced. Is it possible that when they're throwing words of hurt at us that we can help to try to identify the hurt in them that's serving as the motivation for what they're doing to us? Is it possible? So the first thing there is hurt people, hurt people. The second thing that I want to leave with you today is that you have to limit who you listen to. You have to limit who you listen to. Verse 9 in that story after he comes out and he's throwing rocks and he's name-calling and stuff, says this, Abisha, son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Now, when I read that, the first thought I had is I don't have enough friends like this. I need friends who want to cut people's heads off when they hurt my feelings, right? I don't have enough friends like that. When Jesus is being arrested, right, Peter runs up, grabs a sword, cuts the guy, the soldier's ear off. Jesus and one of the least told stories in the Gospels, I think, goes over, picks up the ear off the ground, puts it on the soldier, and is miraculously healed. Right? Peter wanted to defend Jesus. In the Old Testament, when, when God says, I'm going I'm to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and kill everyone in it, Abraham pleads with God on behalf of Lot and his family. And I just wonder, do you have anyone who has your back like that? Do you have anyone who has your back? Who wants to defend you when they hear things that are said about you that they don't believe are true? Or even if they are true, they want to protect you to the very best of their ability. Do you have anybody that has your back like that? You, you have to limit the voices that you listen to. So do you have anybody that has your back? And if you do, does that person also have your ear? Do the people that have your back also have your ear, or are you like me and most people that we, we tend to isolate the voices that have our back, those closest to us, those that continue to compliment us or say things that we enjoy here, and we, we tend to push those away eventually, and we kind of isolate those voices, and we listen to those voices who don't have our best interests in mind. They're voices of people that don't even know us well, people that don't have a heart for us, and so those are the voices that we tend to listen to, that we t- tend to spend our time kind of soaking in what they say so it causes more harm to us, and it's not the people that has our back. We give our ears to someone else, not the people who have our back. Do I spend the most time listening to the people who have the best interest for me in mind? Now, I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand. I'm not saying you only listen to those who agree with you all the time, and you only listen to those who will justify what you're doing so you can feel better about all your decisions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having the kind of wisdom, and the Bible would call it discernment, where you're able to filter the information that you have in front of you to listen to those voices who do have your best interest in mind. Those who may say hard things to you, hurtful things to you, but you know when they say those hurtful things that they're saying them to help make you better. They're saying them because they have a heart for you. They want the best for you. Their motivation is pure towards you and not those who are trying to just inflict harm on you. And so you've got to understand that hurt people hurt people. You've also got to limit the voices that you listen to. Corey and I, you've met our kids now. So with kids, we have a lot of, you know, traffic on our carpet. We have a lot of spills. I picked on Tucker a little bit today. He's just the easiest to pick on because he's so dang cute. But when Tucker walks into a room, a Coke spills across the way. It just, it's just how it happens. And so we get our carpets cleaned a good bit, and that can be expensive, so I'm, I'm pretty thrifty. So a couple years ago, we were getting our carpets cleaned, and I found a very reputable company on Groupon, 
that could clean my carpets for a good price. What I later found out when they showed up at my house is that for the price I paid, I got very little service. You had to go with all the things they tried to upsell you on when they got to your house. And so I paid this amount, which pretty much just got them to show up at my house. And then they're like, okay, now for an additional $39, we can deodorize it. I'm like, nope, nope, I'm fine with the smell. I just don't want it to look like that. And they're like, okay, for $49, we can use special water. I'm like, just use the regular water. There's a tap right outside the house. Just use the regular water. We're good to go. And then they said, well, for $99, we can use Scotch Guard. Now, I'm sure as a grown man, I should know what Scotch Guard is. But I got to be honest, at that point in time, I did not know what Scotch Guard was. So I was like, nope, we're not paying the $99. I've already paid for the price. We're going to do this thing with the regular water. It's going to smell like it smells. Like, just do your job. And Corey, in her wisdom as a mother, said, no, we actually, we, I think we do want the Scotch Guard. Because here's what I later learned Scotch Guard is something that they put on fabric to help keep stains and liquids and things from being able to get into that fabric and cause other stains. And so she wanted to protect the carpet the very best we could. So we paid the extra money to get the Scotch Guard on the carpet. So hurt people hurt people. You got to limit who you listen to. And I think today, as it relates to words, you got to Scotch Guard your soul. You got to Scotch Guard your soul. You've got to do something that protects the soul that lives inside of you. Because there's a lot of things that are trying to get at your soul. There's a lot of things that want to put words and identity pieces in there to you. And if we're not careful, if we don't protect our soul, if we don't scotch guard our soul, then I'm afraid we'll start to believe what others are saying about us. Verse 11, where we've been reading, says this. David then says to Abishai and all his officials, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will, take, will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So what happened is this guy shows up. He's throwing rocks. He's throwing insults. He's throwing names at David. He's saying, you killed Saul and all of his household, and you did all these terrible things. David's guard says, hey, let me just go over there and cut off his head. Let me take care of this. And David responds here and says, no, 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 leave him alone. The reality of my life is way worse than what this guy's trying to say because my son's trying to kill me. My son's trying to take over my kingdom. So who cares what this guy says? Then he flips it and he says, instead, instead of focusing on what this guy's saying to me, I'm choosing to focus on something else. I'm hoping beyond hope that maybe God will look down on my circumstance and he will restore his blessed covenant to me. Scotch guarding your soul is allowing yourself not to focus as much on what other people are saying and to rely on what God's already said about you. It's just allowing whatever, if that's for me, tell them I'll call them back. It's allowing whatever God is doing inside of you to be more important than what other people are saying about you. You scotch guard your soul. You, you put this cocoon around your soul, this protective agent around your soul that says, no, 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 what God has said about me is more important than what others are saying about me. Because David says, listen, forget this Benjamite guy. Forget what he's saying about me. No, no, no. what's more important is what God has done. He has a covenant with me. That covenant is that I would sit on the throne of the people of God over the household of Israel and that my household would eventually do that, but not in this way that God is going to keep the covenant that he has made with me. David was holding to that as something more important than what anybody else would say. He understood something that I think if you and I understood it, if we could truly internalize it, if we could truly kind of put it into our soul and put it into our heart and hold it there, it would change everything about the way that we interact with people that we would not allow someone who can't see our value to determine what we think we're worth. 
that we would not allow someone who can't see our value to determine what we think we're worth. If you're scotch guarding your soul, you're saying, listen, I'm not going to give the people who don't have my best interest in mind, who don't know the value that I have according to God, I'm not going to allow them to just say whatever they want and internalize that and now allow myself to be labeled and limited below what God would have me to do, right? Because that's what people do. They come along, they stick labels on you. They say, this is the name we'll call you because this is your greatest mistake. This is what you've done back there. This is what you did back there. And so this is the label that you have to wear. This is the name we'll call you. They put limits on you. They say, no, 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 because of the family you come from, because of your experience, because of your past regrets and shame. No, 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 this is as much as you can ever accomplish in life. This is the limit. No, no, no. To protect our soul, to scotch guard our soul is to say, no, no, but what has God said about me? What is it that, instead of what these people are saying, what has God said about me? Let, me? let me remind you of some things that God has said about you. God said that he loved you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to earth to live a blameless life and to die on a cross so that you could be with him forever. He, he loved you. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that he loved you first. That's how he demonstrated his love to you, that he loved you while you were yet a sinner, which means before you could be good enough to love him back, he loved you. Before you could be good enough to earn it, he loved you. He loved you first. Not only that, but he says, you know what? If you've made mistakes, which we all have, if, you, if you've done things that you regret, there's shame in your past, there's guilt and condemnation that you carry because of the things back there that you're so afraid other people would find out, you know what? I extend forgiveness to you grace to you. My mercy is new for you every single morning. That's what he says about you. You know what? He says that you can be victorious. You can actually find freedom from the things that you've been fighting for a long time. He says, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can be an overcomer. You can be victorious in the things that you're fighting against. There is nothing that is greater than the power of God. We're going to celebrate that on Easter that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives inside of me and you. That's what he said about you. And so we put those things in our soul. We put those things inside of us, and we hold on to those truths, and we don't allow the words of other people to harm us or to hurt us because we're holding to the truth of who God is and what God has said about us. That's how we scotch guard our soul. We don't allow other people who do not see our value to determine what we think that we are worth. But let me give you a word of caution. Let me give you a word of caution because as you're attempting to live out this life, as you're attempting to try not to let words hurt you like they used to hurt you, as you're attempting to limit the voices and the things that you listen to, and as you're attempting to scotch guard your heart, look at this in verse 14. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. It's exhausting. People are going to say things about you. They're going to try to hurt you. They're going to try to harm you. They're going to put labels on you and try to limit you. It's exhausting. Remember what we read in verse 13? That they continued on their journey. They continued walking. And every single step of the way, there's the accuser throwing something at you calling you names, throwing rocks at you. Every single step of the journey, you're having to fight not to let hurt people hurt you, not to let those kind of voices inside of you and to protect your soul. Every single step of the journey. But did you hear where they were at? They arrived at their destination. 
They didn't stop. I would bet that this church is a lot like my church. That there are some of you this morning that you're sitting here and you were on your way towards a destination. You believe that God had a plan for you. You believe that God had something in mind for you. You wanted to live a life that mattered beyond yourself. Somebody said something that hurt you. Somebody did something that harmed you. And instead of continuing on towards your destination, you just stopped. You stopped moving. You stopped going. You stopped doing anything. Don't do that. They continued on to their destination, even in spite of what others were saying, even in spite of what they were facing, even in spite of the rocks that were being thrown their way. They continued on. Don't let someone's words about your past rob you of your future. Don't let someone's words about your past rob you of your future. Here's the the truth. You give your past to God, and it stays back there. The enemy's the only one who tries to bring it up again. God leaves it back there because God's only concerned about where you are now and where you're headed. Don't allow someone else's words about your past to rob you of your future. Keep moving. Get up and go. Get up and go. It's hard to steer a parked car. Heard that one time. Get up and go. God will direct your path. God will keep you moving in the direction that you're supposed to go. You just say, God, help me. God, keep me moving. Keep me going. God, help me. Help me. Help me. And it says that when he got to the destination, he refreshed himself. Elsewhere in the story of David, it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't really know what that means. I wish I did. But I think it looks a little bit like what we've experienced here today. Where you come together and maybe there's other people and there's other people singing and celebrating the goodness of God. In just a minute, we're going to have opportunity to do that. They're going to they're gonna sing another song. And there's going to be an opportunity for you to pray with someone, have someone encourage you and join with you in prayer. And as they sing, you can sing too. Or maybe you just stand there in the presence of God and you say, God, encourage my soul today. Heal my hurt. Take away the labels that people have tried to stick on me because I don't believe that that's what you say about me. That's just what somebody else said about me. So God, would you just encourage me? Would you allow me to be refreshed today? So when I walk out of these doors, I have truly experienced the hope that is in you. God, help me to experience hope today. Let me be refreshed today when I leave this place so that I don't allow hurt people to hurt me. But I'm also not a hurt person that's hurting other people. And then I also limit the things that I'm listening to. And then I scotch guard my soul. I protect my soul. And I only hold to the truths that God has declared about me and that that would be enough even when others try to make other claims about me. I said, no, God, I'm holding to what you say about who I am. Let's pray.